And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning. Uh, everyone had a uh, pleasant weekend. Today is Monday, September 18th. Want to uh, wish uh, all who celebrated the uh, Jewish New Year a uh, happy New Year. Um, as uh, this weekend uh, was the beginning of uh, the Jewish New Year, and uh, September is uh, the beginning of the fall, beginning of uh, children or uh, young adults uh, getting back to uh, college or to uh, to school, and uh, in many of uh, many of the investment professionals of the world. It's uh, the end of uh, their summer uh, trips out to uh, their vacation destination, whether it's here in New York, the uh, Hamptons, or some other location. Uh, so it's often uh, thought of as a, a time where uh, we get back to business. So here we are, mid-September. Uh, this morning, uh, going to speak about uh, some, uh, some habits that successful people use that perhaps we can think about using here, whether it's the start of a new year resolution for you or just the start of the fall, uh, some thoughts on some uh, changes you uh, could contemplate incorporating. Uh, then we're going to talk about uh, the world, the markets, the geopolitics, uh, what's going on, uh, Russia, Ukraine, oil prices, what's taking place with interest rates this week, Federal Reserve, uh, with their uh, important uh, meeting uh, midweek this week, uh, we've got strike going on in in the auto industry, and we'll talk about the long-term implications of uh, of, of what's taking place in the auto industry and why this uh, why this uh, contract negotiation perhaps is uh, one of the most important contract negotiations for both the UAW and for the auto manufacturers here domestically in the U.S. Uh, in some time, if not ever, I think that deserves uh, some extra attention. Uh, then we'll uh, take a look at what else is going on in the uh, financial markets, what's going on this week, talk about uh, what took place last week uh, with uh, the uh, tech world, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about interest rates, the bond market. So, beginning of fall, just a couple of days away, uh, some unusual uh, daily habits of uh, highly successful people. Of course, success is uh, you know not one size fits all. A very broad definition of what uh, determines uh, success. We each have our own uh, thoughts and uh, opinions on that. But uh, what we can say is uh, is that uh, people who have at least demonstrated uh, financial success, uh, we can uh, try and think about. And if we are interested, uh, think about incorporating some of their uh, habits into uh, our uh, daily lives. Uh, some. Unconventional uh, thoughts on uh, on some of these uh, habits. Uh, while not prescriptive, these habits can serve as food for thought, helping us to step outside our comfort zones and explore different paths to personal and professional growth. So one thing you may want to think of doing, or you may think that uh, this is something you absolutely won't do, is to take cold showers. They are not only guaranteed to wake you up, but they also have uh, arguably numerous health benefits. They can improve circulation. Uh, boost mood, increase alertness, and even uh, some say help build up uh, your immune system. Uh, when you conquer the discomfort of a cold shower first thing in the morning, um, you may say that everything else in your day can seem a bit more manageable. Another uh, thing you might want to try is uh, intermittent fasting, which is not about starvation, but rather about timing your meals. Intermittent fasting involves cycling between periods of eating and fasting. There is a growing body of Scientific evidence showing potential benefits such as weight loss, better brain health, and even increased uh, longevity. Uh, Twitter's former CEO Jack 
Dorsey follows this practice, and he has reported uh, that for him, he's uh, experienced improved focus and energy. Of course, before you dive in, remember that dietary changes uh, should be tailored to your individual health needs, so it's always a good idea to first consult a healthcare professional. Um, one that uh, may want to think about might make your life a little bit easier is to wear the same outfit every day. That might seem horrifying to some and uh, might seem like a big relief to others. If you've ever been overwhelmed by having to choose an outfit in the morning, um, this uh, habit might be the solution that you're looking for. It might sound monotonous, but some of the world's most successful people, like the late Steve Jobs, chose to wear the same outfit every day. Why? Well, it helps to eliminate decision fatigue, saves mental energy for more important decisions throughout the day. It also makes it easier when you're going shopping. Just buy 10 of those uh, black shirts, 10 pairs of uh, black pants, uh, similar shoes, similar socks, and uh, you're good to go. Um, and it also makes uh, sorting that laundry a lot easier. Successful people, um, this one might be a little bit more intuitive. What do they do? Well, they read an awful lot. This might seem like a no-brainer, but it, it's certainly worth mentioning because of its sheer impact at reading extensively not just novels or newspapers, but a wide variety of genres and formats. Elon Musk is known to read everything from philosophy to rocket science. Extensive reading exposes you to a broad array of ideas and perspectives, fostering a deeper understanding of the world. One that... Uh, I think just about everyone uh, might benefit from personal opinion, is a digital detox. Um, we are certainly uh, awash in uh, digital exposure, and uh, it may be the case that uh, too much of a good thing can be harmful. Successful individuals, many regularly disconnect from their devices. Doing so helps create a space free from digital distractions, providing room for reflection, creativity, and deep work. Studies show that incorporating a digital detox into your routine could potentially enhance your mental health, increase productivity, and improve your personal relationships. Even a short period of disconnection each day could yield a significant benefit. And the last uh, thought I will leave with you is to consider writing a thank you note every morning. Um, each morning, write a thank you note to express gratitude to someone in your life. This habit not only brings joy to the recipient, but it also cultivates a positive mindset in the person writing the note. The ripple effect of this small act of kindness can be significant. So as we think about uh, perhaps uh, changing uh, one or more uh, habits that we have each day uh, going forward, uh, here as the fall is getting set to begin, uh, we will take a look at uh, the financial markets this morning as uh, we approach uh, this week uh, where the seasons are changing, Federal Reserve is speaking, and the uh, financial markets are, uh, you know, as usual, uh, quite uncertain. So this morning, uh, taking a look at uh, where the uh, futures are, we are seeing futures uh, now trying to uh, recover still slightly to the downside. Um, S&P futures right now are about seven points below fair value. NASDAQ 100 futures are about 35, uh, actually 44 points below fair value. And Dow futures right now are about 20 points uh, below fair value. Uh, participants are waiting to see how the market responds to Friday's sell-off and are hesitant in front of Wednesday's Federal Open Market Committee policy decision. The market is not expecting a rate hike. It will be more focused on the updated summary of economic projections and the tone that Fed Chair Powell takes at his press conference. 
Separately, the United Auto uh, Workers um, strike persists. Uh, Bloomberg is reporting that uh, Stellantis, symbol STLA, um, owner of uh, Chrysler here in the United States, they made an offer to the UAW for a pay increase of about 21% over four years with a 10% immediate increase and uh, reports that that has been turned down by the UAW. Um, House Republicans, uh, according to Reuters, have presented a short-term bill that would avoid a government shutdown until October 31st. Uh, you may remember we talked last week that uh, there is a potential shutdown looming uh, September 30th, so this would uh, give uh, some more time to Speaker McCarthy to see if he can uh, get an agreement in place uh, among those House Republicans until uh, October 31st. Uh, Treasury yields and oil prices moving higher this morning. Two-year note yield is up one basis point to 505. Ten-year is up one basis point to 434. West Texas Intermediate crude futures are up about a half a percent to $91.26 a barrel. Taking a look overseas, equity markets in the Asia-Pacific region began the week on a mostly lower note, while markets in Japan were closed for a holiday. Major European indices are also trading in the red anywhere uh, with a decline of about three-tenths of a percent for the uh, FTSE in the UK uh, to about one percent uh, decline uh, in the uh, CAC 40 um, in France. Um, some notable uh, news this morning, uh, marketing firm uh, IO, um has lifted its IPO price uh, target range and uh, his company is expected to uh, come public this week um, at a valuation of about $9 billion. Um, this company, uh, um, you may be pleased to know, uh, is uh, one of those companies that helps send you all those targeted emails that you love to receive. Um, and uh, there are talks that Clavio um, has a uh, oversubscription uh, um, based on the current estimated uh, price range of about 20 times oversubscribed. So on the heels of uh, last week's uh, uh, successful IPO of Arm Holdings, uh, which uh, popped uh, uh, after its IPO um, and uh, then uh, followed up with a couple of days of gains uh, this morning, uh, Arm is pulling back about 4% um, after Bernstein initiated coverage with an underperform rating. Um, nevertheless, uh, we are seeing some life in the IPO market, um, some life in some of the underwriting stocks like Goldman Sachs uh, that uh, uh, benefit when the IPO market uh, gets stronger, um, and uh, we are seeing uh, that this morning. Um, also this morning um, in the tech space, Micron Technology, symbol MU, is upgraded to buy from Hold at Deutsche Bank. It's up about uh, 2%. Uh, DoorDash is up about 2% after being upgraded by Mizuho to buy from neutral on Sunday. Uh, PayPal uh, down about 1% after Moffitt Nathanson downgraded the stock to market perform from outperform and cut its price target uh, 10 days before PayPal's next CEO, Alex Chris, is uh, expected to uh, take over uh, the helm over at uh, PayPal. Uh, Disney, symbol DIS, uh, this morning up slightly after Raymond James initiated coverage with an outperform rating. Also reporting uh, from the Wall Street Journal that the chief information officer at Disney is going to be leaving the company. Uh, Clorox, symbol CLX, uh, down uh, about 2% or 3 points um, after they un identified unauthorized activity on some of its information technology systems. 
they believe the impact will be material on uh, first quarter uh, results um, for uh, for uh, Chrysler uh, for I'm sorry uh, Clorox uh, this morning. Um, Amazon um, lining up, getting ready for their prime uh, big deal days. Um, next prime day is expected to begin uh, October 10th at 3 a.m. Eastern time, and it's expected to run uh, until the next day and through October 11th. Wall Street Journal reporting that Amazon um, is looking for n- new areas of uh, focus. Other news this morning, um, Abvi, Bristol-Myers, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and Pfizer um, are urging a federal judge to block President Biden's administration from implementing a new program that would let Medicare negotiate prices with pharmaceutical companies for selected costly drugs. We'll talk a little bit about more of that and the potential implications for seniors um, with an article uh, that was uh, in Barron's uh, over the weekend. And uh, Challenger Gray and Christmas is reporting that U.S. retailers will hire the lowest number of seasonal workers for this holiday season since 2008 due to increased labor costs and shaky uh, consumer confidence. All right. So what's uh, going on uh, this week? Um, big event this week is a Federal Open Market Committee um, meeting on uh, with this week, and their decision is expected on Wednesday. Um, Wall Street is nearly unanimous in expecting the Federal Open Market Committee to hold the Fed funds rate steady at uh, five and a quarter to five and a half percent. By year end, there is roughly a 40 percent chance of a quarter of a percentage point increase, bringing the Fed funds rate uh, to five and a half to five and three quarter percent. Thursday, uh, many of the other central banks around the world are going to be uh, giving us their thoughts on interest rates. Bank of England. Sweden's Reichsbank and the Swiss National Bank all announcing their monetary policy decisions on Thursday. With European inflation proving more stubborn than most developed economies, those central banks are expected to raise their key rates by a quarter of a point. In contrast, the Bank of Japan, which announces its decision on Friday, is seen keeping its target rate unchanged at negative 0.1%. Friday, S&P Global releases its Manufacturing and Services Purchasing Managers Index for September. Consensus estimates are for a reading of 47.8 for the Manufacturing PMI and 50.3 for Services PMI. Both figures are roughly even with August, reinforcing the fact that the services sector continues to hold up better than the manufacturing sector. Moving on to uh, Barron's and uh, market action uh, last week. Barron's uh, pointing out that the trading has been choppy and range-bound for several weeks, uh, perhaps leaving some of you with a seasick feeling, um, but uh, you may not uh, be in for smoother seas uh, anytime in the near future. Despite no shortage of headlines and hand-wringing, the stock market hasn't been doing much of anything. S&P 500 has been flat over the past two months. This week's inflation and retail sales data, tech company drama, and a parade of industry conferences did little to change that. Last week, the S&P was down 0.16%. The Dow was up 0.1%. The NASDAQ was down 0.4%. Even this week's coming meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee, Barron says is unlikely to help the market pick a direction. A data-dependent Federal Reserve will meet on Tuesday and Wednesday to contemplate its next monetary policy move and offer projections of interest rates, economic growth, and inflation. And as we previously mentioned, futures market is uh, expecting no change in rates at this meeting. 
The data flow since the July meeting largely supports a wait-and-see approach, according to Bank America's chief U.S. economist. He goes on to say that recent data should leave the Fed encouraged by ongoing disinflation but concerned about reacceleration in inflation because of the strength in activity. What the Fed makes of the longer-term trajectory is still up in the air, and that will put the focus on the summary of economic projections, what others call the dot plot is what um, is widely expected to be what the markets will uh, have a laser focus on. For now, futures pricing calls for a percentage point worth of rate cuts by the end of next year, so expectations that you could be seeing uh, rates lower by the end of next year. A forecast that could move depending on uh, what the, the Fed officials uh, give us in terms of uh, reading uh, those dot plots uh, next week. So going forward, uh, the real question becomes not uh, how high rates will go. Uh, markets are moving on from whether or not the Fed raises rates one more time, two more times. Um, but what the markets are now focused on is not the increase in rates, but um, how long the Fed, once they go on hold, will stay on hold and uh, and what the uh, cut in interest rates, uh, which follows that holding period, however long it is, um, will look like. So um, all eyes will be on uh, expectations for 2024 and beyond. Um, if you are uh, taking a look at Fed funds futures for December of 24, so uh, uh, by uh, roughly election time next year, what do the expectations look like on uh, interest rates? Well, if you go uh, by that uh, by that futures pricing, uh, futures markets uh, are expecting 4.58%. So uh, you know somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1% uh, or a little bit less than 1% lower um, than where we are today is uh, the the expectation um, as of this very moment. But keep in mind, the Fed has not given us an update on their thoughts since June 14th, uh, which is almost uh, you know a season ago. And uh, we've had lots of uh, data since then. So uh, we may, uh, we may uh, get some uh, new information from the Fed uh, at this meeting that will uh, perhaps uh, strongly influence expectations uh, for 2024. One popular notion is if the inflation recedes in line with the FOMC's projections, um, then a failure to cut rates uh, at that point would in fact be uh, like a uh, unintentional tightening, and therefore that could crimp the economy. On the flip side, uh, there are those who suggest that the Fed should wait longer and potentially uh, do that unintentional tightening uh, by not lowering rates uh, even as the economy slows, because the concern is that if you go back historically and look at the 1970s, um, the Fed uh, did cut rates uh, in the 1970s. Inflation accelerated. Risk assets uh, picked up. Um, stock markets picked up. And uh, that then led to a resurgence in inflation. And then the Fed had to raise rates again, making that uh, recovery uh, take a lot longer and making inflation a lot more painful. So some are suggesting perhaps that the Fed uh, should uh, err on the side of uh, more pain, more caution, more tightening um, in terms of uh, monetary policy. Others are also suggesting that perhaps the uh, target rate, if we're talking interest rates, uh, of uh, how much uh, rates should be above inflation or what the real rate should be, um, that, is, uh, that is something that's uh, subject to a lot of debate. Um, real rate of inflation, uh, some have uh, suggested, has uh, recently, um, before the Fed uh, went negative in terms of real rates, uh, was uh, the target rate, some have uh, speculated, is about one-half of 1%. Um, but now, with uh, the deficits uh, 
roaring and uh, the Fed and the government having to uh, take into account the tremendous amount of treasury issuance. Some are suggesting that in order to uh, satiate demand for all those treasuries, that the real rate of return that investors will um, need to uh, receive in order to clear the market might be uh, might be closer to 2%. And this is something that uh, could be a headwind that the Fed faces um, that uh, rates have to be artificially higher than they would like in order to get treasuries sold because there's so many of these treasuries coming to market. And these are all um, different uh, factors that we'll all have to weigh as we uh, analyze uh, how the economy is doing, what interest rates are, and what the implications are for the equity market. Articles and barons this weekend. Um, big story this morning. We talked about the UAW, United Auto Workers, uh, um, rejecting the uh, offer from Stellantis. Uh, they had previously rejected uh, offers from Ford and General Motors. And Barron's uh, headline story talked about uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, auto uh, industry and uh, why the United Auto Workers strike isn't the biggest problem for Ford and General Motors. While a strike is the most immediate issue facing the big two U.S. automakers, the existential threat posed by electrical vehicles is an even bigger problem. Electric vehicles are taking off in the U.S., but EV-related losses are growing for Ford and GM. And now the companies have to make some hard decisions about how they will spend billions of dollars, decisions sure to have serious consequences for their stocks. The numbers are huge. Ford is planning to spend roughly $7 billion over the next few years to build new battery plants and electric vehicle manufacturing facilities in Kentucky and Tennessee, while General Motors is committed to spending $35 billion uh, between 2020 and 2025. Um, U.S. automakers uh, desperately uh, need to, and when I say U.S., I would say uh, traditional U.S. automakers, Ford and General Motors, because, of course, uh, Tesla is a U.S. automaker. Uh, these companies need to significantly increase their electrical vehicle market share here in the North American market if, in fact, electric vehicles are going to uh, be the future of the auto industry. GM has uh, just 6% market share. Ford has 5 um, Electric vehicles uh, make up 7% of the overall U.S. market, but um, if you look at a state like California, which is often a harbinger of things to come, electrical vehicle sales in California now represent 22% of the market. Uh, Ford and General Motors uh, are going to have to significantly pick up their EV game in order to remain relevant. At the same time, they've got to uh, take on uh, their challenges with respect to uh, labor costs. Um, if they are uh, going to uh, put themselves in a challenging position by uh, negotiating a higher uh, wages for UAW workers relative to their competitors like Tesla and Rivian, um, who currently uh, have workforces that are non-unionized, um, this could potentially be a significant uh, headwind uh, for Ford and General Motors. Also, uh, if these companies were to uh, present uh, to the uh, UAW terms that uh, the market feels are uh, generous, um, this could potentially present a problem going forward um, as uh, they potentially lock themselves into a workforce that is well compensated and uh, that has uh, terms that uh, make it uh, challenging to uh, be flexible with their workforce at a time when uh, the nature of the of the uh, assembly of vehicles is changing. Uh, electric vehicles have uh, fewer parts, fewer moving components, and therefore uh, potentially require less uh, workers in order to assemble them. Um, so. It uh, is a really significant challenge uh, for uh, Ford and General Motors uh, in terms of uh, how they uh, ch how they meet the challenge of the uh, short-term need to uh, 
to get uh, get their factories and production uh, back up uh, and going at the same time that they uh, need to uh, be flexible enough to uh, build the, the vehicles of the future and to be building these vehicles of the future and being competitive uh, with the competition. So truly a daunting uh, challenge ahead for the U.S. automakers and uh, for the UAW as they try and uh, together strike the right balance for uh, American auto workers and for, uh, and for the uh, existential uh, um, perpetuation of uh, Ford and General Motors as relevant uh, components uh, to the automotive industry and to the U.S. economy. I mentioned uh, that we were going to talk about some of the changes taking place in the uh, pharmaceutical industry, and those are the changes having to do with the government saying that they are going to negotiate uh, prices on uh, drugs. Um, they've chosen 10 drugs that will be the first that they negotiate prices on. As uh, we discussed, the uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, have uh, sought to uh, have that uh, negotiating power uh, diminished or eliminated, as they say, uh, it's not something that the government has the right to do. And uh, as this plays out in the courts, it's going to have a significant impact both on the uh, pharmaceutical prices uh, that uh, seniors and others potentially pay, as well as the profitability of uh, U.S. Uh, pharmaceutical uh, companies that are impacted. These companies chose uh, 10 drugs, and these, uh, and these uh, prices are set to take effect in 2026. But these 10 drugs are just the first round of, uh, of drugs that the government is going to target going forward. They are going to uh, target an additional 15 drugs in 2027, then another 20 drugs in 2028, assuming uh, that the courts uh, find this uh, permissible. Uh, what does this mean to uh, those of you who are on Medicare or will uh, be on Medicare? Well, if this change does take place, Medicare recipients stand to benefit from reduced prices on these drugs. That's because Part D premiums today reflect the costs borne by the plans, and to the extent that negotiations lower those costs, savings will trickle down to enrollees in the form of lower premiums. Price negotiations are one of several provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act designed to lower prescription drug costs to Medicare patients. Monthly out-of-pocket costs for insulin were capped at $35 this year. Starting next year, those with high drug spending will catch a break when their responsibility in the catastrophic coverage phase of Part D, which beneficiaries reach after spending roughly $3,000 out-of-pocket, will drop from 5% coinsurance to zero. Then in 2025, out-of-spending, out-of-pocket spending on medications will be capped at $2,000 annually, indexed for inflation uh, going forward. Um, so uh, seniors uh, could potentially uh, be the uh, beneficiaries uh, of the uh, financial uh, challenges that uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies uh, may be facing. Finally, I'll mention one last uh article in Barron's. Uh, Barron's uh, talked about uh, private equity and private credit as uh, these uh, investment choices have uh, garnered a lot more market share um, in the last few years, not just uh, for the wealthy, but uh, it's uh, making its way, uh, private equity and private credit, credit making their way uh, down to the mass affluent. Um, and that's partly a reflection of the fact that the SEC has not uh, changed uh, the definition of an accredited investor. An accredited investor since uh, the early 1980s has been someone uh, that's an individual that makes 200000 or a couple that earns 300000 or alternatively has a net worth of uh, $1 million uh, or, 
or more excluding their, uh, pri- excluding their primary residents. Some have uh, argued that uh, the SEC has intentionally uh, been uh, uh, not raising the limits on accredited investors because they want to democratize the marketplace and enable more and more investors uh, to participate in investments that were previously only available to uh, those who had uh, significantly more net worth. Um, so Barron said, let's take a look and see how private equity uh, has done and how it stocks up against the stock market. Just last week, there were uh, two books out uh, being uh, critical of uh, private equity and suggesting that uh, private equity has uh, benefited uh, the most uh, the folks who uh, offer private equity. And the uh, two books that came out last week, uh, one called These Are the P- Plunderers, How Private Equity Runs and Wrecks America. The other is plunder, so definitely a theme here with plunder, private equity's plan to pillage uh, America. Now, the plunderers took a big lead on irony last week when uh, KKR, which is one of the private equity firms out there, agreed to buy its publisher, uh, meaning that uh, private equity now gets a small taste of the proceeds uh, from taking uh, down private equity. Uh, But Barron's goes on to... uh, review private equity and private credit and uh, see how they stack up against financial markets. And what they basically conclude is that despite the fact that the private equity fees uh, are perhaps obnoxiously appalling, say anywhere between one and a half to two percent of assets plus 20 percent of the profits, basically they conclude, well, the jury is still out. Uh, Public markets have been around for about 400 years. Private equity and private credit are only about four decades or 40 years old. Um, so uh, making a, a judgment, uh, they say, uh, is perhaps uh, premature. But what they do say is that uh, some of the benefits of private equity and private credit were due to the fact that uh, valuations uh, were fairly attractive or very attractive. Uh, if you go back a decade or two when there were a lot less participants in the market, back then uh, the Carlisle co-founder David Rubenstein told uh, the uh, author of uh, this article in Barron's, that the deal prices uh, back uh, back in the day, so to speak, were seven, eight, or nine times cash flow. Now you're seeing uh, deals being done at 13, 14, or 15 times cash flow. Of course, when the starting prices are a lot higher, well, the potential future returns uh, could be uh, meaningfully lower. One of the other uh, factors that uh, some folks prefer in uh, private equity or private credit is uh, that uh, when... Uh, individual investors look at their statements that uh, the volatility of private equity or private credit tends to uh, look a lot uh, lower, meaning that uh, when the markets, uh, public markets are down significantly, the uh, valuation of private uh, credit uh, looks like uh, it is not uh, declining as much. Um, and some are suggesting that is really uh, the result of what some uh, call volatility laundering. Um, which uh, means that uh, estimated values uh, are not being uh, marked down as uh, strongly as they are in the public market, and therefore during downturns, perhaps uh, that is not accurately reflecting the true value if you truly had to sell those assets. But because those assets are illiquid, the argument perhaps could be made that uh, we don't need to go exactly to market because uh, we're not selling currently and. Uh, and, and we're looking at a long-term average and uh, you know a realistic assessment, not uh, this moment's uh, panic mode um, that we're seeing in uh, in general broader markets. And therefore, you know, this volatility is not being reflected in prices. And it could be a whole philosophical discussion on whether or not uh, that uh, pricing that uh, some who are investing in private equity and private credit are seeing is truly the uh, the right valuation. 
So at the end of the day, Barron's comes to the conclusion that if you look at the last 30 or 40 years, that uh, private equity, private credit, um, which is growing now, has held up uh, fairly well, and the returns, including fees, look somewhat like public markets. Um, so uh, private equity and private credit investors arguably have gotten returns uh, fairly similar to public markets, uh, perhaps, perhaps, uh, with less volatility. The real conclusion at the end of the day is um, we've only got 40 years of data. Um, this market's uh, growing. It's becoming more common. It's becoming uh, more accessible. And uh, the jury is still out on uh, how this uh, ultimately, uh, how this asset class ultimately uh, gets uh, gets judged, and the story that we'll continue to follow and continue to uh, monitor. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.